We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And a victory for the bygone era of innocent football. Chelsea defeats Manchester City, teaching them the lesson that you don't need two billion pounds of talent. You just need heart, desire, and 1.5 billion pounds of talent. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, sweet, innocent, underdog Chelsea. They're oligarch. Too much. Too much for the oil money of Manchester City. And... That fraud, Pep Guardiola, who once again proves that tinkering uh, is not the way to go in a big final. Uh, We have to hope that whatever Arteta is learning from Pep, he gets the good stuff and not that stuff, because that is the bad stuff. But um, there really is no winning, because whoever won that final, it would have been disgusting. I think City would have been less disgusting, personally, uh, but Chelsea have won the final. And unfortunately, we're probably going to talk about that a bit. But before we do... It's time for the honor code, everybody. Three reviews have been picked out of a hat, and we are going to send gifts to the three people who left these reviews, provided that they get in touch with me, uh, and they are the actual people who left them. (laughs) And we have a method that we think will work for proving that. But, Iwa Woo Wa. Iwa Woo Wa. Iwa Woo Wa left a review. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't know if that's a real name or just a thing. Uh, you have been selected. Bergy the Iceman 10 has been selected. I assume that is a reference, uh, Tim, you can correct me, to uh, Bergy the Iceman, who wore the 10 in 1927 for Arsenal. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, that's correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, Andrew McGraw, a name that even I can't screw up. Andrew McGraw has been pulled out of the hat as well. So those are our three winners. Thank you so much to everybody who left a review, and we will do this again soon. I am thrilled to announce that Phil Costa will be joining me on a daily basis during the Euros to do day-by-day coverage of the Euros. We will have a daily sort of 30-minute Euro digest covering a big game that happened or one that's coming up, uh, you know, a team that thrived or didn't thrive. We may actually do it in the form of the headline stock rising, stock falling kind of flow that we use for our instant reaction pods on the Patreon. So kind of an intro into that format if you want to do it. But I'm really, really excited about that because you'll get to hear more from me, which adds... Uh, it says here, nothing, but from Phil Costa, who adds quite a bit, and he'll be bringing on some friends who know stuff about football to uh, deal with my inane questions. So it should be a lot of fun. There will still be Arsenal Vision podcast, uh, the regular kind, during that period. 
covering news and transfer rumors and tons of Patreon content. We will get back to the scouting videos. But if you want to scout Buendia or Awar, We've done it for you already. It's already on the Patreon. Those videos are up and you can watch them. Um, We'll get into some of our transfer targets. But first, uh, as always, I want to say love you and thank you so much for being here. And we are into the proper part of the season where there is no football and just transfer rumors. And we will talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about the Champions League with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Paz Pants. So, Paz. Hey, how does does Andrew McGraw spell his last name? Uh, McGraw. M-C-G-R-A-W. Yeah, okay, good enough. Okay, well, I, good. As opposed to what, like McGraw? McGraw, A-T-H. Oh. I was just, you, oh. you, know, you were so confident that you got it right. I was just... No, yeah, I, I, I hope. Did I get it right based on the spelling I provided you for you? I think so. Phew. Okay, uh, that'll be my one for the year. Tim's on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive's on Twitter. Clive, yes. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Clive, you tweeted some pictures. The top mm-hmm. of your head, wearing a bike helmet, some dogs yeah. on a leash, some fields yep. with some clouds. Now, I have done all the work I can. I've run it through the hieroglyph translator, the, the photo emulator, all of the AI out there. I assume that this is a reference to the fact that Basuma's done Awar next blimey? Yeah. Yeah, this okay. Well, Awar, listen, he's not really playing that well, to be honest. He's on TV right now. She's playing for France in 21s, but I was doing a bit of scouting, but I'm on here now instead, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See. Well, we can't have you scouting when you actually have to be podding because you'll only be scouting for the pod, so it's podception. Um, let's get into the Champions League final real quick. Let's, let, let's talk about it. Clive, I think... Before we get into Arsenal, the Arsenal diaspora collectively losing its mind over Chelsea winning a Champions League final, let's just talk about the game. Um, it was a lot more open than I expected. I, I think I'm reluctantly going to have to say I'm really impressed with Chelsea, but as someone who really likes to focus on the players that play at the, the goal-scoring end of the pitch, the one player that jumped off the screen for me in this game was, was N'Golo Kante. Is it possible that this player is underrated in terms of the impact that he can make, the problems he can solve in midfield so that you can just go out and have luxury players all around him? Yeah, it's funny how perceptions go. I think I'm not sure who pushed Kante forward the first time. One of their managers just slipped my mind. But when he was sort of pushed forward to go and press, go and get the game, people said, oh, he's got to be playing in front of his back four. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean... They've got, it's interesting between two managers. One has really built his team on, on defence, and one is all about position, position, goals, pattern, all the rest of it. And um, So it was really two different ideals coming against each other. And I think Pep went for the first goal. He wanted to control the story of the game. I've got to get the first goal. I'm going to load up. I'm going to steal Sterling in behind. I'm going to try to get the first goal run through them while they're relaxed. And then I can control the story and bring on my structure later on. And it, and it just went wrong for him because they got the first goal and that's exactly what they wanted. They got it before half time, they could sit down, enjoy it, calm down, and then play their game, which was really about bringing them on, destruction. They call it, up, I want to say upsetting through, but not really upsetting through. It's link and stretch. That's a new word that I learned from a guy called Colin Carpenter. I really like that one. I'm, I'm going to tell link. you something, and I'm not the expert you are, but that is three words. <laughs> link, link, stretch. So you know as a team, you link, you link, you link, then you know someone's going to go. Go, stretch them. You know, and that's what they're looking to do. And Paul Werner's um, inaccuracies, he's very fast. 
and he unsettles Stones, he unsettles Diaz, because he's faster than them. He may not know where the goal is at the moment, but he can stretch a team, and so can Havertz. He's quicker than he's quicker than people realise, and when they get there, when he gets there, he's quite calm. So it was very, very interesting clash, but I'm afraid the team, actually, the real, I actually one of the Discord people said to me, oh, Clive didn't rate too sure. I said, it's not I didn't rate him. I just find it interesting that when we play the back three, we were quite critical of it. When he's come in there, play the back three, he's seen as a, a major, major coach. I just think it's just find a system for your players. Your players tell you who they are, tell you what system to play. Once you find it, go for it. And don't worry about what people say. And he's got the balls. So don't worry about what people are saying. I'm going to play this way. I'm going to make sure I get results. And it's the only thing that counts. And and Kante has just rolled into that and made it all work because basically he's a one-man midfield. He goes everywhere where the ball is, hang on bang, tackle, move it. And it's just wonderful to watch him. He's a player, despite playing for Chelsea, you can't help but love. He's yeah. a really good player. Yeah, he is. He's such an exceptional player who gets put into the the box of just being a destroyer, and he can do so much more than that. But it's the amount of ground he can cover and the way his engine just goes all game long. He is like a an Aaron Ramsey, but with a little more defense and a little less goal scoring. And the fact that he'll just run and run and run and cover ground and cover ground. And I think those players are not appreciated enough. And I know Clive, you, you want to raise the athletic level in our team. And I don't just think it's athleticism. I think it's also that engine to be able to do it in the 80th minute, as well as in the 20th. The thing I'll say about Tuchel is, I mean, look, he is, he does get some criticism in the Chelsea corners. I mean, not right now, because he just won the champions league for not creating enough, being a bit too defensive. I mean, to be fair, if Leicester didn't crap the bed, Chelsea, well, they'd be in the Champions League next season by, by dint of having just won it, but they would have finished outside the top four, and it would have been a bit of a collapse from the position they were in, I think you might say, and I think some of that is that they, they weren't as goal-scoring as they could, but the one thing that his back three does, he wants to win the ball higher up the pitch, and it's something that we always talked about for ourselves, which is, can we replace some of the precise, pretty back-to-front football by just being further up the pitch, winning the ball higher up the pitch, and having less work to do and win in transition. I, I thought it was a really interesting game. One thing, Tim, though, that, that marred it for me was the the De Bruyne situation. I, it was hard to watch. I, I feel for him. I think, obviously, losing your best player and one of the best players in the world made life really difficult for, for City against a team that's very organized and, and capable of, of keeping teams out. That was just a really ugly incident. Do you have any issue with how it was officiated, though, or you know, maybe there should have been a different outcome. How, how did you feel watching it in real time? I, I do fight. So it's one of those things. No one ever gets sent off for that. So you probably can't just start randomly because you object to it. But one of the, one of the things I just, I find really weird how we treat head injuries in football. And I'm not just talking about like the concussion element. Like, like if you, if you like go in with your studs raised now, it's like complete no, no, like you, whether you mean it or not, you will be sent off. And, you know, sometimes you have to raise your studs and it's really, really difficult. And you look at how harshly things like uh, the high boot are treated, um, for example. And again, if you kind of just dangle your leg slightly above knee, like at a slight right angle and the other guy goes down and headbutts your foot, you get a free kick. But then like with stuff like actual like shoulders and forearms into cheekbones and jaws and things like that. And like what Harry temples. Kane did to Gabriel, for example? Yeah, exactly. By the way, is there like, a toucan for... on the podcast right now? Is there? Is that is that a baby? Uh, yes, it is. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's a baby toucan. Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so, so like, it's weird how we're like 
we're we've gone i i think a bit too far mm. on the whole um you know the violent conduct with feet and studs and things like that and and i think there should be a bit more latitude for when someone clearly doesn't mean it or or you know like literally can't do anything else really like you you can't keep your studs on the grass for 90 minutes it's not possible but then when it comes to i was watching the uh george best documentary the running on is it sky Mm. or whatever yeah yeah (laughs) and like the tackling like they just you, you see it in those old old uh coverage of like against Maradona or whoever the way they like try and assassinate a guy on the pitch or against Cruyff or whatever and you see where we've come to where like the mere sight of studs and uh, you know you're off it's like it's yeah it's almost anti-football, isn't it? I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's gone, like, I'm not going to, you know, it's gone marginally too, too far, I think. Not not amazingly too far, but yeah, to that point, there's a great documentary about Laurie Cunningham, and, like, there's a picture of his leg uh, when he was playing for Real Madrid, and there's a scar where he had um, a knee operation, which I, I don't think he got that through, like, a violent tackle. Um, he just did his knee, and then, you know, he's got his operation scar, and all around it, it's like bullet holes because basically all of the Spanish players saw his scar and they were going for it. And, <laughs> and that's what's really, really harrowing is he's got this big operation scar and just loads of stud holes near it where like opponents have been told to go for that. But, but yeah, I, I do find it weird how smashing like, you know, lightly brushing someone with your studs is like a big no, no, but smashing someone in the face or throwing your arm or yeah, or concussing players like like if if um Rudiger had broken De Bruyne's ankle even by complete accident he would have been sent off like absolutely no no doubt so why is fracturing someone's nose and cheekbone um not treated that way I I, I don't get it I've got to say in general outside London of that mask. yeah do you feel um do you feel like this was a pep overthink situation or do you think that narrative is just one there's a part of me that thinks anytime pep loses he overthought it (laughs) you know that's just the narrative so do you think this was a pep overthink or just no a a game (laughs) no 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 i don't i mean i don't know maybe a bit but i think that is a little bit overwrought that criticism in fact i tweeted before the game let's not forget that whoever loses this overthought it i think that's it's a bit like that Mourinho three season thing which which doesn't work at all it like it happened once in his career and now everyone retrofits everything that happens yeah, my favorite is the last two it happened like the first season and they're like oh it's season three (laughs) happening in season one (laughs) Like, yeah, that doesn't like, even well, make sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I don't necessarily... I, I think what was important in this game was the fact that Chelsea played City twice recently and had their number both times. And so I think there's a degree to which Pep couldn't do exactly the same thing. I think the story of this game was the first 20 minutes, I thought City are going to smash them here because they kept picking up that space between Azpilicueta and Reese James. And I thought, oh, they, they keep getting in down there, just a matter of time. But Tuchel spotted it, and he closed those distances, and then that was it. City did not look dangerous after that. So I do think that this is this is really... I mean, it's obviously two really top-class coaches. I don't necessarily think Pep really, really dropped the ball, per se. I think it's more that, that Tuchel um, spotted... Uh, spotted the problem and solved it and solved it emphatically 
Yeah. I'll say this about the protecting players thing, because, you know, Paul, I, I get your point about sometimes feeling like anti-football. I think it is that you're just balancing the equities. So in the NFL, they've changed the rules so much about how you can hit the quarterback to the point now where, like, you see people going to tackle the quarterback and it looks like they're gently hugging him and laying him into a bed because they're so scared of getting penalized. But the NFL figured out having Aaron Rodgers, having Tom Brady, having Pat Mahomes out for the whole season hurts our viewing figures, hurts our stadium attendances, hurts our brand. And so we will go so far the other direction to protect quarterbacks that if it means the game changes slightly but is more entertaining to watch and the stars can play, we're willing to make that change. I think the Premier League and UEFA football figured out in general that like having Lionel Messi out for six months of every season because of reducers hurts the game. Having your best players not want to play in England because of what happened to like Reyes, for example, where he was literally like kicked out of the league, essentially not kicked out, you know, from a, a um, regulatory standpoint, like kicked literally kicked to pieces to the point where he didn't want to be in the league anymore. Like those, those situations are bad for football. So did the changes go the too much in the other direction? They may have, but I think the end result is you don't see what happened to Diaby and Ramsey and Eduardo happening over and over and over again. So I think in balance, I'd rather it be this way because those more technical players, you know, players like Nicola Pepe, 15 years ago in the Premier League, would just be missing half the season because someone would t- take matters into their own hands, so to speak. Um so Paul, yeah, it was my, yeah, to be yeah. honest, it was more a facetious comment and mm. a kind of a having just seen the George Best documentary, mm-hmm. it's man, everything, you know, is to, I agree with Tim. I think it's a shade overdone at the moment. And and also it needs a rebalancing. Right. When you move the the law on those kinds of tackles so far, you sometimes leave the, the rules behind on other things. And heads are a lot more more danger, more um Vulnerable. Uh, valuable. Vulnerable. <laughs> With that, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be I'll fair, the game I'll, has I'll gotten so quick, Paul, that I yeah. think, you know, the speed of the game has made it harder also to to judge yeah. these things because what looks really bad in full speed, you know, may, may not be as bad. Let, let, let's get to the what I think is more the crux of the matter in the Arsenal world, though, which is the reaction. Um, the reaction to Chelsea winning has been more diverse than I think it's represented. One of the things I hate when I see it on Twitter, our comments like, oh, our fan base blank. Because our fan base isn't one uniform group. We should know that by now. And I never see the whole fan base re- respond to anything in a uniform way. I think it is possible to watch the Champions League final and have feelings about it that relate to Arsenal in terms of where we are in our process, how far we are from the mountaintop, and not have it mean that you're saying, we should be where these two billion pound squads are. But to recognize, gosh, the distance is really big, isn't it? We have a lot of ground to cover. So what's your reaction to the reaction? How how we as Arsenal fans can watch this game, can relate to it, can use it as a measuring stick for where we need to go without it becoming a little bit too hysterical? Look, this was a big emotional event for Arsenal supporters, and maybe I think it surprised a lot of them. They weren't expect like when was the well last said, time yep. we actually, yeah, we were. When was the last time we actually got emotional about a Champions League final, not individually but on mass, right? So now you're watching City and Chelsea. weren't really expecting Chelsea to be in the final, and there they are, um, and in in top form, playing the best football in the world ish. I mean, that's maybe a slight overstatement, but this was great. You know, this was a great occasion, great football. 
two big teams. We've made our peace with City, but we really haven't made our peace with Chelsea being this good. They're not supposed to be this good. They're supposed to have spent a shitload of money and bought a bunch of the wrong players and screwed up their manager. And, okay, we had a, a month or two where we thought, oh, God, they've got Tuchel and he's a genius. And then it seemed like... He was. It was all falling between his fingers, and his his fingers of clay. Can you have fingers of clay? Um, were were maybe losing it all, and then. But maybe he was back. Uh, you know, he'd had a couple of good uh, games against City in recent, and so the final comes on, and these two teams are clearly levels above what we could perform at. The Chelsea we beat twice this season: once with Lampard, uh, once with maybe. Um, using a pragmatic approach, some variance on our side. Uh, Chelsea may be slightly distracted with other matters, even if they shouldn't have been. And we got ourselves a result by getting the first goal, our favorite trick against the top teams um, when we win. And we hung on and we hung on well, but it was it's kind of a false read. You go into that thinking, we're not so far off these guys. And then you see them on the big stage Bossing it, and you look at their benches. I mean, I think uh, Chelsea's bench might even have been stronger than City's. And like, what to make of all of that? I, I do think, though, that uh, I agree with you. You can't say <clears throat> the supporters are this and that. Like, there's a spectrum, a variety of opinions. But after big occasion like that, there is kind of a polarizing, a barbell approach in terms of reactions emotionally. Even if the opinions are, there's basically the Oh Jesus! I'm sick of. Uh, I've just been reminded how sick I am with where we are at Arsenal, and these guys are way too far ahead of us compared to how far they should be against us. And then there's the reaction to that reaction, which is, "Oh, you guys are always losing your shit over this stuff. We should have known where we were before this game even played. You're overreacting." Like that is a thing that happens within hours of a big thing like this, and then we all lose our shit with each other and then we all calm down and our opinions kind of spread back across the spectrum more evenly back to where they were as we become more reasonable and rational and take in more of the factors and the considerations and we calm down but but like when you're in revolutionary mode you can imagine what i've been reading recently <laughs> uh, we have some offline the, chat about that and stay offline yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we have this mechanism within us to all rally rally to certain poles outside the jailhouse and decide, are we or aren't we going to lynch these uh, cattle rustlers we have very little evidence over or aren't we? I mean, it is a thing and we just need to hold our breath for 24 hours and calm down, um, enjoy the arguing if you like it or step back from it. But there is going to be 24 hours where points are made, but we'd probably all calm down a little bit. Like there are lessons to learn from this. One of the lessons is these guys are uh, variance aside, pragmatic tactics aside, can play at a level we just – and have strength in depth around the pitch and certainly in the case of Chelsea, athleticism and strength and depth and skill that we can't match across 11 positions with with two players. Uh, but there's lots of other lessons to be learned there. But you, you can't look at that Chelsea team. You can say, oh, they shouldn't have bought. Oh, they made a mistake over Havertz or, or no, not Havertz, uh, Werner or X, Y or Z bringing him in. He's the wrong guy or he's not as good as they made. It. But like the depth, holy, like even if you've got like the three strikers, Werner, 
uh, Abrams, Giroud. I mean, even if you want to quibble, none of them is the right guy. Holy shit, that's that's some depth of players who yeah. lots of other teams. You know, okay, Giroud is getting to his st- sell-by <clears> date, but <throat> but still doing so. So like, you know, the, uh, it, my tendency was to say, uh, uh, kind of to stay calm and say. Look, we just we just can't match that depth. Yeah. And what we saw was two teams in it. because it was such an open game. You saw the best in some ways, not quite the best on the city side, but the best of their footballing. A, a, a real clear indication of the abilities of the yeah. teams and the depth. Uh, had it been a tighter game, maybe we wouldn't have lost our shit so much. But it wasn't. Yeah, I the a couple of things there. I mean, the first thing I will say is just that. I think where the natural comparison comes in, and you can tell me all the reasons it's unfair, but let's not uh, penalize people for an obvious human reaction, all right? It's that Chelsea were sitting in a bad spot in the league versus their talent and still had European competition to focus on. And they sacked a former player, young-ish manager, and went with an experienced guy with a big CV and they wound up winning the European competition they were in and getting their league campaign on track the way they expected it to go. And we didn't. Now, had we done what they did, first of all, we weren't going to win the Champions League, and let me tell you why. We weren't in it. (laughs) We probably weren't going to finish top four. I think the comparison is more, when we were at our low ebb, should we have been decisive in the way they were, and would we have reaped a reward in a similar kind of way? And again, I'm not saying I agree with that. I realize there's a reductiveness about that approach, but I think it's human nature because both clubs were not doing what they should or perceived to should have been doing with their talent. One made a change and it changed their season and the other didn't make a change. Now, to be fair, the one that didn't make a change also kind of changed their season a bit. We did turn it around a bit. The European side of it didn't go so well. Clive. And can I mm-hmm. can I add mm-hmm. quickly on that, which is like the the context of the two teams is so utterly different. Like, Roman Abramovich changes managers a lot, but he has such resources, depth, squad, that the new manager comes in and finds a bunch of players he can work with. You change the manager at Arsenal, uh, we're only halfway through redeveloping our squad. The new manager has to come in and make do with the squad that even the last manager hadn't got to a point where he was remotely happy with. Roman Abramovich changes wives faster than we change managers, and one of his wives cost him a billion pounds. So he has resort... It's expensive change, uh, taste to keep changing your car every year. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I look, I, I know all the reasons, Paul, I, and yeah, I don't disagree I, with them. I'm just saying it's human say nature it, to make the comparison. Yeah, yeah, but human nature... Should, should also have the facility to reflect a little. Yeah, and I think we should reflect that it might be the smart thing at Arsenal to, uh, rather than change really quickly, to change a little slower and give people the time to turn what the material we have into something. Ours is a slower process yeah. just because the money, the resources, yeah, no, the I, squad debt. I hear you. Total, total different circumstance and context. But, but Clive, I mean, you, yeah. you, you tweeted out, uh, what I thought was a fantastic uh, organic viral advertisement for Manscaped, so good job. I'm kidding. Uh, that wasn't your intention, but you basically said, we need to stop fixating on other people's lawns. It won't make our lawn nicer. We need to focus on our lawn and improve our lawn, and I agree. I think what the Champions League final was for me is a slap in the face again about like 
Let's be realistic about the level we want to get to. These conversations like, can we afford to sell Shaka? Can we really let Joe Willick go? These are the wrong, we're not even having the right conversations. Of course we should sell Shaka. Of course we should cash in on Joe Willick. And the reason I now feel this way so strongly is looking at those teams and those talent levels and and what's needed, we're not close to it. Can you get there with a Smith Rowe and a Saka? You can. You're never getting there with a Shaka. Maybe a party, not a Shaka, not a Joe Willock. You know, can you get there with elite talent? You can. You're never going to get there with me. And I realize every team has some water carriers in their team. But I, I think to some extent, you know, we, we sometimes forget that you don't get bad overnight. You get bad over years. And what happens as a result of that is it becomes a new normal. It's like gaining weight. You know, you gain five pounds in a year, and suddenly you don't think you're five pounds overweight. You gain five more pounds in a year. You don't think you're five pounds overweight. You gain five more pounds in a year. Well, now you're 15 pounds you put on. But because it happened so slowly, you've moved the the goalposts a little bit about where you might want to be weight-wise. And, you know, that that to each their own. My point, Clive, is that, like, I wasn't making the comparison because I think we should be where Chelsea are, especially with what they've spent. But more that it reset for me a bit of a reminder that some of the conversations we have around post-Boxing Day results and Granite Shack and things like that are have a bit of an implicit acceptance of mediocrity baked into them. So how do you balance not expecting us to be Chelsea, who do spend in a way we won't, but expecting us to find ways to close the gap intelligently? I think there are two teams that we just can't compare ourselves to, and that is City and Chelsea. I mean, City has spent around $300 million on the training ground in, in yeah. uh, I'm sure the east side of Manchester and they've got probably United too by the way clubs. purely you know purely on resourcing uh, purely on cash mm-hmm. but imagine but United are sitting there with a decrepit ground and a pretty average training ground yeah. whoever goes into United have got a lot of work to do infrastructure wise so City and Chelsea are two teams we just can't compete with you know the other thing with United is they do live within a budget it might be a huge budget but it's a budget yeah, the model is more recognisable to us. They're they're an old they're an old giant that's maybe a little bit asleep, much like Arsenal. And and those two new teams, the new firm, are just sitting there with good money, but smart people as well, really smart people, who know what they want to do, and they can drive a culture from the top. The top is really driving the decisioning, but they're putting money in place. You know the whole Lampard thing. You know he did a good job. He was a youth coach that came up in a year when they can only get Kovacic, Pulisic. And really just get those two signings in. And then he, he brought some people forward like Tamori, like Mount, like Abraham. And he kept it going for you, got into the top four and got to a cup final. Really good. But all the time, when they, as soon as they went bought those German players in, they they had their eyes on something else. And they and they got that person and we are where we are. I know to quote you, Elliot, but the teams we should be looking at are, are Liverpool, really. Yeah. That is the team we should be looking at. They are. They've got a bit. They've got more investment than us. But I think we can catch them investment wise. But they're just smart. So I look around at Liverpool and look what they've achieved the last few years. And and look there. Don't look. At, don't look at Chelsea, because they can just afford to throw money away. They sell really well. Don't look at them. But more importantly, look at ourselves. Because for me, we need to be able to understand the question before we understand the answer. And I'm. I am worried. We don't understand the player types we need to take us to the next level. Now, this year for me was all about development, and we, you know, we spoke about it before. 
So the players we need now need to be experienced enablers to understand the game, have the strength, speed, power, technical ability, with very little risk and very little development needed. We have got a number of players who are developing. We don't need to add any more that are developing. We need to add more that have arrived that will still develop. You see what I mean? And that's a different age group. That's a 23, 24, 25-year-old age group. Absolute, so enabler, someone like Basuma is an enabler for the two centre-backs and Thomas Pye. Bang. Just do it. Just do it. We need a left-back backup for Kieran Tierney because we know he can play 25 games only at top speed. We need to make sure that position is filled. You know, we need a different type of right-back to Callum Chambers who, who is, a, is a defensive wide progressor. We need an offensive wide progressor. Somebody can get up and down a bit more. That offers a contrast to that player. We need attacking midfield. Let's, you know, everyone's got names going for their heads, no doubt. We need attacking midfielder to enable Smith-Rowe and Saka not to play the minutes they're due to play next year. It can't happen. We cannot get where we're going to get to with a 19-year-old and 20-year-old. No matter how talented they are, they need time with a coat on. So we need somebody else to help rotate in those positions. So we need players that enable this core that we've developed. It's very important. And they need to be the right type of players. I can't stress this enough. You cannot watch these games and look at some of our athletic and technical ability and say that we are close. But I will say, I'm not one of these people that cries about the gap. As long as you know what the gap is, it can be closed really quickly. Mm. Really quickly. Don't think we're a million miles away. We just need to be less stupid. Honestly, I mean, I think that's honestly the key. They should put that on the badge. Be less stupid. Like that should be everywhere (laughs) in Colney. It really should be. It, it, honestly, this isn't hard. There are there are people listening to this podcast. They've probably got they're probably shouting names into an electronic device right now. We need to buy. Everyone, there's no secret. It's all out there. Just we just got to get ahead and do it. It's obvious what we need. Don't be afraid to lose these players. They've been here long enough. Five years of Granite Shaka, good player, fine player, needs to go because the ceiling is there. We absolutely know exactly what he can do for us. I want somebody else in who can do a bit more than that and help us in different ways. You know, so that's a classic example. So a lot of it is with us as well. You know, uh, I've got some <laughs> about how we react to certain players. We we love our players, quite rightly. We we say we want change, but when we come to sell them, we don't want to sell them. That's you it. Know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And, it's and, a painful um, thing, so change. <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not called, <laughs> we're not called, we're just not comfortable with this. We, we look at Chelsea and we, we have envious eyes with the 1.5 billion in their back pocket just come out of the sky, by the way. But we're not built like that. I listened to Amy talking about um, Steve Bold leaving after 31 years and she gave a great great speech about it. And I thought, that's who we are. That's who Arsenal are. We care about our people. We care about how they exit. Chelsea just chinned their record goal scorer, their best ever player, just kicked him out of the room. It's hilarious. With a, little, <laughs> with a little tweet from a Bambridge, the first time he's spoken in 15 years. See you later, mate. On your way. Thanks for all your help. Bang. It, that, we're different clubs. Let's not pretend we're the same. We're just not. But we can look at Liverpool. We can be better than Leicester. Really quickly. Really quickly if we smarten up. That's that's how I feel about it. I could not agree more. And I think this is the fundamental reality. I am not looking at that Champions League final and saying we should be where Chelsea are because we have a very different model from them. They can make a Kepa mistake and bat it aside. 
we can't make an 80 million pound or whatever the stupid price it was mistake on a goalkeeper and just swat it aside. We saw what the Ozil contract did to us for several seasons in terms of hamstringing us and what the William and Obamian contracts may do all the same. We'll find out. But like stopping the reliance on quick fixes, being smarter about process, those things will help close the gap because, you know, we, we do have the resources. And this is thing I want to touch on with you, Tim. Um, you know, one of the reasons for the frustration is that there is a hopelessness that comes with knowing that Stan Kroenke is our owner, that KSE owns the club, and that there is a ceiling on the club full stop because of ownership. But what I would mm. ask you is, do you think that the fixation on the investment from the owner is maybe actually less important than what to me strikes me is really the, the critical component, which is the lack of oversight and involvement and really even appreciation of how you would go about fixing this? Yeah, definitely. And that's where, you know, as Clive says, Liverpool, who you look at really, and that's not to say we have to copy absolutely everything they do, but they are, they're the slap in the face. They're the proof that a club of similar means can get to that level. Um, and, and you're right. It's not so much investment. I'm like, don't get me wrong. If Stan Kroenke says, <laughs> says, imagine that if Stan Kroenke says tomorrow, um, yeah, I'll give you another 200 million. Go for it great i'm not going to argue with that um but it's it's the yeah it's the absence of stupidity isn't it and the the reason i'm pessimistic about that is because i just don't think they're involved enough and they you know we've we've said all this before they leave the back door open to vultures and then they're too much uh, removed to do anything about it when it's um you know when it's all going wrong and and i think that's what I think that's what hurt a lot of people actually watch. I mean, everyone hates watching Chelsea be successful, of course, um, and winning another Champions League. And you know what? Before the game, I thought to myself, well, they've done it once now. And the first time they did it, I, I felt, honestly, I felt horrible. Um, absolutely horrible the first time they did it. That was, um, yeah, that, that, that was tough. And I, I, I thought to myself before this game, well, you know, I'm not really that interested in City doing it either. Um, I prefer them to win of the two, but, you know, Chelsea have done it once what you know big whoop if they do it twice but actually when it happened I was a a bit hurt by it and and certainly I think what I felt was that like how do we get there like what's what like (laughs) gonna sound like Shawshank Redemption here but you need hope as a football fan and one of the things I guess I've been and I don't know about other people I, I suspect that this might be true of a lot of Arsenal fans something I've been turning over in my head a lot during the last few years and particularly under the Cronkies is, you know, I feel like this club is really in inertia and um, we're not going to get out until we lose the owners. Um, And even then, even if we do that, who knows what the other owners would be like anyway. And we're probably not going to lose these owners anyway. So, you know, that just that kind of feeling of hopelessness. But then at the same time, like I try and like, um, you know, get myself out of it and slap myself around the face and say, look, Arsenal are still in a better position than the vast majority um, of football clubs in the world, in the country, whatever. And, you know, we still get, we still get like, we still win cups and things like that, which the vast majority of fans in, in, in this country in particular would never experience with their teams. Um, So, so it's weird being in this, essentially we're part of the big six and therefore, 
do you really have the like is it very entitled to complain about that but at the same time you're very much like at the bottom of that big six and your owners have no interest in elevating you um within that that kind of uh that echelon and in fact you might you're going to fall out of it pretty quickly so i i think there was a lot of that going on i mean i i think the other thing i'd say about about chelsea winning it i completely agree we can't be like them and i don't particularly want to be like them the difference with this one as well is the last time they won it, that was the end of that Chelsea team. That was Drogba, Terry, Lampard, Czech. That was kind of their last stand as a team. Um, and in a way that made it hurt more because you thought, oh God, this was probably their last Champions League together and it would have taken them a little while to come back up to this level. And it has. They haven't really competed for it since. The problem here is this feels like the beginning. They just went up and saddled up on a load of young attacking talent last summer. They've got a really exciting, uh, really, really good um, kind of, well, young coach, but actually quite experienced coach as well. And they saw an opportunity in the pandemic as one of the few clubs who were, um, you know, recession proof and they filled their boots. And that's that that feels bad as well, because you could see them doing this again um, with those players. There's certainly no guarantee. I don't think they're going to go on and rule Europe or anything, but I've been thinking since Tuchel, since Tuchel came in, my whole thinking has been Chelsea will be the new team that pushes City because I think Liverpool have got a tricky rebuild and the pandemic has complicated things for them. I think Chelsea and City will be the two teams vying for it. And so for Chelsea to win the Champions League so early in this project, yeah, it's tough. Clive? That's a great point, Tim, about where Chelsea are in their development life cycle. And, you know, I'll tell you where we are. There's, <laughs> we took David Luiz from them, right? And they then allowed players like Christensen and Rudiger to turn up and become their new leaders at the back. While we're paying ridiculous amounts of money to a, a guy who's 34, nice guy, great guy, everyone loves him, pats him on the back, off you pop. But that's where they are. They're preparing the ground for players to come through and and we're helping them do it. William, yeah, did that, did that make room it. for Mason Mount? Did that make room we're, for those guys? <laughs> yeah, we're helping them do it. And this is why we need to be not be afraid to lose some of our pillars. Just lose them. Trust me, they're young players biting to get through, want to get through, want to show themselves. They respect the hierarchy in the dressing room. They cannot be themselves. They cannot take responsibility until people go. I'm so glad we've done that with Louise. I hope we do with William. I hope we do with Cedric. I hope we do with Shaka. And that's going to allow people to come in and really take us to a new level. And we just got to be, we got to get comfortable with that. And I think more and more people are becoming so. Yeah, look, losing should give you a freedom in a way. There are no sacred cows. Because who do, who do you really care if they leave? None of these guys took you where you want to go. That's why I thought it was a perfect opportunity to move on from Aubameyang last summer. And why we should move on from Lacazette and Granit Xhaka. Because while they've been good servants to the club, and that's nice, at some point you either move on or you die with those players. And we couldn't get where we wanted with those players, so it's time to refresh. What's the worst thing that happens? You finish eighth again? There's a freedom to that. You know, if we had just finished fifth, two points off fourth, that's almost harder. Because then you say, gosh, we're in touching distance. Do we do we stick with the plan or do we try to just just eke out a, a season where we make up that gap? But the gap now is big enough that we know we have to do something different. And there's a freedom in that. And I know when we reference Liverpool, people will say, oh, well, they had the benefit of a, a Coutinho sale that funded their move. Well, Spurs sold Gareth Bale. What did they build with that? 
They sold him for what Liverpool sold Coutinho for. You can look at two different ways to use the money when you get it. And the fact is, Aaron Ramsey, Alexis Sanchez, and Mesut Ozil left our club for zero. You just, you know, there's just smart ways to do it and there's dumb ways to do it. Would we have been better off with 120 million pounds than where we wound up with them? You just can't have these sacred cows when you're headed in the wrong direction or you're just going to accelerate the decline. And that's, that is what we've done. There, there was a tweet that went out by Sam Dean about what Brentford had done and Brentford are coming up. How are Brentford coming up? A ruthless, meticulous adherence to their process. Data-driven, contemporary. Oli Watkins, signed for $1.8 million, sold for $30 million. Said Benrama, signed for $2.7 million, sold for $25 million. Neil Mope, signed for $1.6 million, sold for $20 million. Ezri Kansa, signed for $2.5 million, sold for $12 million. Chris Meepham, signed for $0 million, sold for $12 million. That is $8.5 million paid, $100 million received. And now you go back and do it again. Now, I want to be clear about something. At our level, the margins are much smaller. There aren't the 1.8 million buys that sell for 30 million. I mean, every once in a while, you might get lucky with one. You know, someone like a Martinelli might leave our club someday for 80 million. You know, uh, uh, Dembele, um, you know, uh, Usmani Dembele, you know, was an example at Dortmund of someone like that. But the, the point is that good process is what we should be prioritizing and there there aren't any sacred cows so before we move off this topic and get into the transfer rumors paul like have sort of the last word on that i mean yeah please yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, look i'm going to say something that nobody's going to agree with and i, I, like, I a- absolutely expect <laughs> that the, the funny thing is you didn't need to tell me that i knew that was going to happen already <laughs> there are t- look i think you guys made absolutely brilliant points uh the, like no, I, agreed, I agree with that so uh, so you were wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah um it's like but what do you do about it at Arsenal? Like, we're not going to be Brentford. Like, if you're talking to the people making the decision, I'm like 100, but we're not, right? So, like, what's the one move we've got that we can make it, uh, as supporters? I would, I would like to sell to our supporters the idea, support the fucking snot out of Arteta, even if you're not sure he's the right deal, because he's all we got. Because you're not going to change the owners. The culture of the club is whatever it is. Uh, we're not about to be Brentford. We're not about to be Liverpool. Whoever the manager coming in is, is not going to reshape the club uh, overnight to be all the things we're pointing out we don't need. We have one thing going for us. We have a young, bright, smart, intelligent manager <clears throat> who is very talented. We don't know how talented. We don't know if he'll be talented at Arsenal. We don't know if he'll be successful at Arsenal. But we got him, we got some young players coming through, and we should support the fucking snot out of them because they're kind of our only game in town at the moment. And he is an agent provocateur at the club. He's our eyes and ears. Like, he could be shit, right? I understand there's, there's more than one scenario here. There's a debate on the guy. But he could be really good. He's, I believe he's extremely ambitious and I don't think we should sap his energies. I don't think we should uh, create, obs- uh, like uh, this isn't having to go at the fans. I'm just saying in general, the fewer obstacles he has in his way to get on with the job of doing it on a limited budget with the squad he has, the better chance he has to make progress with the team, have some success, build on that. He's been at City for three years. He's seen how a club run right runs. 
He knows what we've got. He knows the disparity. He knows the mismatch. He will want to move forward with that. He's all we got. So you may have significant doubts about the manager, but you must also admit you're unsure. We don't know what this guy is. You can see certain things about him. Can he execute? Can he get it all the way there? He's a talented guy. He's a smart guy. Is he smart enough? Is he your style of manager? Those you know, those are personal questions, but I think most people would admit they don't know if he's really good or not, but he might be. Mm. So, yeah, I uh, just and like that's fine. You, we can't fix the club. We can't turn it into Brentford. We can't change him. We got nothing here. We can't change the squad. <laughs> you really cheered me up. Thanks, bud. <laughs> yeah. We're not. We're not that bad, Paul. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, hang on. We are that bad. We are we're, not we're Brentford. <laughs> but he, What's this, Clive? What's the we that's good here? We have so, a few good young. Now, when players. you said we got, when we got nothing, now I don't agree with that. What you're probably, what you're trying to what, say what is, what have we? Got, in terms of, but, hold on a second. Clive, hold on, hold let me frame. Hold hang on, on let me second. frame what I mean. Like you, you take my quote, and I understand that. But let me frame what I mean by <laughs> we got nothing. Right? In terms of the manager, sorry. In terms of the owner, the structure of the club, the way we do our business as a football club. We've just spent 15 minutes saying how we're not where we need to be in terms of the squad. It's not where we need to. We've got almost nothing that is where it needs to be apart from maybe a manager on his way and some young players. So just to frame it, that's that's what I mean by we got nothing. Yeah, that's well, that's something, isn't it? That's what I mean, <laughs> I, and I and I agree, and that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> that is something, and I agree with you. I think he's. We've had a development year for these young players and the manager, right? Yeah. And the manager's job is to upward manage. He's the only one that's done it. Emery couldn't do it. Wenger didn't do it. Upward manage, get the investment we need, and hopefully outwardly manage by picking the right players. And sure. Arteta is the one who I trust his reasons for being here. That yeah. doesn't mean that's a referendum on his quality, but he's the one who I trust his reasons for being here. Jury's out for me on the ownership and our director of football, and definitely on one of our lead scouts. There's one other guy standing there, I'm thinking, mate, don't cross the road too fast, look over <laughs> left and right, because you're, you're the only person there I trust. You know, that doesn't mean that I think you're the best manager in the world, because that's to be proven. I think we'll see a lot more about that over the summer and next year, but I sort of tend to agree with you, but that's why I did want to think, I, did, I do think we have something, that's what I was trying to say. I think... Um... You know, my, my only comment in response to that is it's not so much I disagree with any of it in terms of the points made. It's more that, like, whenever someone says the best thing we can do right now is support blank, I would like to live in a world where, you know, some people tweeting that they don't like the manager or, you know, writing a blog saying he's not the right manager for us or going on a podcast saying we, we, could, we need a better manager, that those things don't influence outcomes. And maybe I'm naive, but, like, I, I would like the club to not manage to meet fan goals or fan exp- I mean, fan goals of winning the Champions League, the Premier League. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, don't go buy the players the fans want you to go buy. Don't go sign the manager the fans want you. Don't play the lineup the fans pick. I, I want a club that has good people in charge and who make decisions that are in the best interest of the club's long-term success and don't bend to the wishes of, of the fans. And so to the extent that support matters... I will certainly say that at the ground it matters, right? Because if you're booing the manager like crazy every game, game in and game out, I don't think that's sustainable. But in general, my hope would just be that the club makes smart choices outside of what the fans are supporting. 
Tim, I want to yeah. get to you on. But, but yeah. Can I quickly say I, I'm all for people being able to write, say, think, exchange of ideas. Like I'm not saying I'm not looking for some kind of uh, mono view on opinions. I'm just saying uh, the best thing we can do. Th- those who who are are open to it, the best thing we can all do is hope that the manager and these young players have their time, and those who are open to it and up for it. Support the hell out of it. You know, I'm not going to tell people to have a different view to what they have. But You made a point that I just d- resonated with me, though. And I want to restate it real quick before I lose it, because sometimes this stuff is slippery. I think your point that I kind of get is our best chance to get good is if Arteta is good. And he might yep. be. The other guys mm-hmm. probably aren't, because we've seen how they run the club. So you're sort of saying, back Arteta, because... Right now, he's our best chance. Doesn't mean it'll work yep. out, but the other guys have already sort of proven what they're about. Yep. Yeah. He's okay. clearly talented. Mm-hmm. Whether he can execute is another matter. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I, I want to get to some news before we um, say goodbye. And this doesn't have to be a particularly long one. We've got lots of transfer-related stuff that we'll be doing all season and things like that. But um, I, I'd like to get candid with you. And by candid with you, I actually mean tell you about Candid the company. That's the best transition i'm going to give you and i really apologize but you're going to be happy i did look uh we've we've done products that are designed to make you look and feel your best whether it's undergarments or or shaving but like candid is a, is a company that actually creates a product that will long-term change y- your well-being and your physical appearance because it straightens your teeth so um candid is invisible aligners that you wear for about six months on average and you will straighten your teeth it costs thousands less than traditional braces. Your treatment is prescribed by an orthodontist. Those are the people who are experts in, you know, braces. Um, I wore braces as a kid. wasn't super fun. And I think like a lot of people who did that or, or even didn't, as you get older, your teeth get a little out of alignment. They turn. You have, you know, occlusions, things like that. Candid can help straighten your smile, fall in love with your smile, your teeth, and other companies that do this have general dentists and they cost thousands more. Again, this is done by a licensed orthodontist. Um, I'll just read you a couple things that some customers have said. Justin in Atlanta, when I was younger, I used to have a gap in the front and on the side. I noticed that people would always look at my mouth first. So I was looking for a fix. Candid up being the perfect company for me. There's no comparison. Uh, Cameron in Nashville, my old stomach ground. Once I started Candid, my life completely changed. Uh, I have better dental hygiene. My goal for my wedding was perfect teeth and Candid got me there. So if you have an event coming up, it's a great way to do it. You can become your best you. Start straightening your teeth today. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. So that's nice. Save $75. Uh, Go to CandidCo, CandidCo.com, CandidCo.com slash vision, and use code vision. So basically, all the vision all the time. It's for your teeth, but the code is vision. You get the idea. Go to CandidCo.com candidco.com forward slash vision and use code vision that's candidco.com um slash vision code vision take advantage of this limited time offer to save 75 dollars on your starter kit candidco.com slash vision code vision okay clive have we covered it we have good that's not bad i can do with that that's a really good thing (laughs) it is a good thing Uh, look i wore braces and i have turned teeth and it's a big pain in the neck and i will say this just one last thing on this which is simply that like Nobody wants to go in and get braces as an adult. I mean, I know some people do, and no judgment about that if you have. It's just, it's one of those things that can be a pain in the neck, and then you have the metal in your mouth, and all that. But, like, the idea of just having these invisible things that you wear for six months, yeah, like, I, I can do that. So I am down with that, and uh, I hope other people will be as well, because it's a good company. Anyway, uh, let's move on from that, though. Tim, 
the the speculation season has sort of started in earnest. I want to just quickly get your feedback on a couple of things. One of the more ridiculous things to come out is that Sterling and Mares might be leaving City and, and Arsenal <laughs> were linked with Sterling. Now, look, I don't see it being possible. I don't see the price making sense, the wages making sense. He is an extraordinary player, but for me, one of the things that getting smarter is about is the positions that you target for improvement. So do you have any response to those those particular rumors quickly? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that um, guys who uh, who went to Man City for 50, 60 million pounds and have raised their value um, are going to be really affordable. And I'm really sure they'll come to a team that doesn't have European football next year. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't think there's any truth in it at all. But I think one of the other things I'd say just in terms of um, learning about getting smarter by players who are on the way up, uh, not on the way down, don't by like even if somehow sterling was available to us i wouldn't do it now um when we mooted the alexis sterling swap all over it but at the moment um yeah he's not playing brilliantly and i think it'd be a massive come down to come to arsenal we just got to avoid that type of deal even if um it's something that actually exists in the real world which this one doesn't yeah so then i mean we can get to some that maybe do exist in the real world one being basuma i've seen links to sander burge and basuma i i don't want to like just be a snob about stuff i but i i do think i like the basuma link a little bit more do you have do you have an idea of of whether that's the right central midfielder for us if, if you'd be happy with that outcome do you know what? I, I don't actually. Um, and the reason I, I like Basuma, he looks like a really good player to me. I can't pretend I've watched him really, really closely. I'm sure he has loads of flaws that would, um, that you know, let's assume Arsenal sign him this time next year. I'll probably be bemoaning all of his flaws. But I, I like what I've seen. It, it's because it just entirely depends what Arteta wants out of the midfield. Um, because obviously he inherited a lot of players there, but but Party's his guy, right? Party's the one that he wanted to buy. And I'd just be like, whoever the other midfielder ends up being or other midfielders, um, because, you know, Ceballos isn't going to be there. Um, we don't know about, well, I I tend to think that Elneny will get a new contract personally, but that second central midfield signing, that really interests me just because, like everything else around there, Arteta inherited. So we'll get like a really proper idea of what Arteta wants from a midfield. And um, I, I must say, I don't know in my head exactly how Bissouma and Party works. Um, but I think it, it, it ups it ups our capability in several areas. Um, I think um, in, in terms of... The technical, the creative, the physical, um, and everything else. I, you know, that that strikes me as a midfield where you've got two guys who can swap over a bit, whereas at the moment it's very much like... I, I, I like Xhaka and Party as a partnership. I, I think it's perfectly decent. Um, I'd still like better than perfectly decent, but it's still very, you stand here and you stand here, and that's the midfield. Um, whereas with Basuma and Party, I assume that there would be possibly a little bit more to it than that and maybe um you know at times El Nenny and Party has has looked like quite a good partnership you just like El Nenny to be a bit better than he is but just having that that kind of greater mobility next to Party um I, I think would be very interesting and just to stick with you for one more thing um in terms of outgoings I mean I I briefly referenced the Shaka thing. This this mm-hmm. looks like it's moving to an outcome that you'd support, but I want to touch on one other, which is Ganduzi to Marseille. 
Mm-hmm. I assume the Shaka thing you're not torn on at all, that you, that you think it's the right move at nope. the right time. You can certainly change yep. my mind if you'd like. But but with Ganduzi, do you have any... Uh, we, at one point in time, you know, some people thought he was a 50 million pound player. Okay, maybe that was an exaggeration, but 4,000 Premier League minutes in his teens, a, you know, a, a talented player. Some of the fees mooted have been like 8 million. Do you have any sense that the club has any culpability for him not being more, or is this one where you're willing to lay it at the player's feet and say, he just can't get his act together and we're being punished for that? Yeah, I I lean more towards the latter just because if if we'd sold him for that this time last year, I'd probably lean towards the former. Um, But he's been on loan for a year and he's had an entire year to get his value back up um, without, you know, the bad man Arteta being nasty to him or Arsenal or anything like that. And and from by the sounds of it, he's he's just been pretty average out on loan. I, I think the thing I'd say about this, though, um, and forgive me, I tweeted about this earlier in the week, so um, I might be repeating myself a bit, but this is the wisdom of buying young, right? Gendouzi, by the, by the looks of it, is the first player we're getting out of the door. And that's despite the fact that he's been a little shit and he's gone on loan and not like the last... 18 months for Gendouzi at Arsenal have been a disaster, like a real disaster in terms of where he could and should have been. And it has, all right, we're not, we're not getting the money for him that perhaps we'd like, but it's no problem to move him um, at all. You like young players like, and we'll still turn a profit on him. It's, it's been really, even despite everything that's gone wrong, we haven't been damaged by any of it. Um, really, certainly not financially um, as well. And that is the wisdom of, of betting on young players like that because there is always a market for those players. He's got one year left on his contract as well. We could be backed into a real corner there and it looks like no problem at all, out of the door before the end of May. So that that's the wisdom of making that kind of transfer because if it doesn't come off, you're still kind of fine and you just move on and try the next one. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point. You'd rather either be helping the team or bringing in the economic windfall, but another outcome that is acceptable is not absolutely getting screwed by, you know? Yeah, Which, um, and not having yeah. him hanging around with his face like a smacked ass and mm. sitting out his contract. And, and and that's the other thing. There's a, there's always a willingness with these moves because young guys don't want to sit on their contracts. Younger guys want to go out and play. Cedric, he's not fucking going anywhere because he's got a lovely contract. He's going to sit on that. Um, and he and he's entitled to, but he's he's close to you know he's getting to retirement. Um, you know he's think he's thinking about his pension kind of thing. Whereas guys who are twenty one, twenty two, nope, not sitting on my contract. I've got a career to make. I want to go. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Clive, uh, without giving away all the good stuff for free, or our entire summer content, <laughs> do you want to just give me your quick thirty thousand foot view of which of the rumors are blowing your hair back and which of the ones are leaving you cold? Are we gonna do a transfer? We're going to do all the transfer pods, Clive. Yes, so please don't give it all away. Just just give me your... Let, let's do overview. These rumors are blowing my hair back. These rumors leave me cold and have me worried. Okay, so let's just talk about... And by the way, that was rude because I realized it's from a hair back situation. Like you have you have opted have to no go hair. with the fully shaved head, which means that that, that, that turn of phrase no was hair, not, not particularly well put. I, yeah. I have no hair, but I do have teeth, which is a good thing, right? Yeah, for candy. Yeah, so that's good. Um, so should I just do right back and, and, and center back? Really? It is. So you, have the, you have the conch. Conch? Conch? 
Okay, cool. Well, so with, you know, assuming that Callum Chambers is going to stay, and I, I, although I don't want to agree with him on Cedric, I think he may be right. <laughs> but I'm hoping we can get him out the door because I, I want Keir out the door. So get rid of all of those, right? So, um, but given that Callum Chambers is more a defensive right back style, although he can get forward, I, I do like his profile. Wish he was one yard quicker, but he is what he is. We can extend him. I hear we have an option on him, so that makes sense. Homegrown, just do it. Just it don't talk to him just extend him and so we there's a two or three rumors that are flying around at the moment there's one called emerson royale from real betis who's um almost like a faster chambers but not you know, much slightly slimmer in body more athletic more agile quite progressive i, I quite like him there's the max Aaron's rumors which i'm not 100 sure about i don't really like him um well i'll say i don't really like him i think you have to we have to pay a uk tax Right. So um, I think um, he is somebody I'm not sure we should be spending 30 to 35 million pounds on, really. I think we're just helping Norwich out. There's another guy called um, Maswari from Ajax. Mm-hmm. And that's one that's come up today. And and he is nice. He is like your Cancello type, really skillful, plays inside and out, really good at combinations. He's the last third. He can. He's really calm and collective. He can shoot. He can cross. He's got different. He's got a left foot cross, right foot cross. I like him. I'm just always sure when I'm YouTubing him. I'm always thinking oh, that Dutch league looks a bit easy. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not sure. There was a game. I think they played Liverpool in Champions League. We did quite well. I may be wrong on that. Somebody will tell me. And I did watch that game. He was like man of the match, and he was excellent. So the levels there. 15 million for him. I like the sound of him a lot. I really do. I think he could be a fantastic player. There's another one that Discord boys have got me onto called Riddle Baku. And he's another player that's similar to the old Lauren, like wants to play in centre mid and, and right back. Really good, comes inside, a bit smaller in stature, very sprinty, gets good shots off. Like him a lot as well. So they're the right back ones. And the centre back one that's out there is. Guy called Edmund Tapsober from I think it's by Leverkusen, I think. And um, now we've seen him before. He actually played against us for Vitoria many years ago in the Europa League, and I never saw him. I must admit. Um, and a friend of mine put me onto him a couple of years ago, and I've been watching him since. And he's he's very um, he's very he's, he's very dominant. He's um, not quite an Upamecano weight wise, but he's a bit more. He's a bit slimmer, a bit angular. But he's very good in one-on-ones. He plays a lot on the left-hand side, but has played on the right. He's a dominant player, but he's 22-23. So that's, that rumour worries me, because we've got some other bloke that we spent a lot of yeah. money on. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> right? I don't get it. And, and his 60 million release clause. I mean, it's only a rumour, and mo- let's, let's not mess about. Most of the Arsenal people right now are on holiday. So, you know, let's not mess about. These rumours are rumours, but most of the players are on holiday, and most of them are not going to Euros, and we ain't got many going there. And so it is what it is. But that is one that makes me think, what's going on here? What's going on here? But nice player, but he'd have to prove himself. Same as Saliba, you know, and Saliba just got voted into the French team of the season, even though he turned up in January. So that tells you how well he's gone. I'd like to see him get a chance so we can all judge him once and for all. Yeah. Um, so, Paul, let me, let me ask you about this stuff. Just in terms of the, the mm-hmm. targets in terms of position wise. Yeah. I know Tapsoba is, is well rated, but like I think Clive touched on this. My personal opinion is at some point you have to make a manager, a team, a club, whatever, eat its vegetables 
We loaded up on center backs, and so now someone's got to eat those center backs. No, that's not right. Um, Someone's got to turn those center backs into vegetables. Nope, that's not it either. I guess what I'm trying to say is use the center backs you have. Do you agree or disagree? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. And I also think... So where did you want to go with this? Well, so so in terms of, yeah, starting there, and and then I think just because I'd like to sort of wrap this with Mm. saying, seeing if we can kind of agree on where the priority should be, because we're linked with some of the players you'd absolutely want, like Hakimi. I mean, all right, we're not going to get that, but like really good right backs, which is exciting. Really good center midfielders and some not so much, which is exciting. Uh, really good number 10 stroke eight type players, which is exciting, but also some players we don't need, some players who are older, some players who play mm-hmm. positions where we're stocked. So I'm sort of trying to get your opinion on, okay. I, I guess you can do it as generally as you want, but but in particular the Tepsoba, remember, because like at some point we you just have to use the resources the way you've already deployed them, I feel like. Yeah. Who's Tepsoba again? Center back. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> Good. Um, I've been thinking about other about this, but in a totally different way. So I think we gotta uh, we gotta fix our full back situations, and there's a couple of ways we can do it. We can either get a, a Tierney esque right back, um, or just make sure we've got an all singing, all dancing left side where Tierney and maybe some young fella or some older fella who still has some mileage in him who can do a Tierney like job for us. But that's kind of almost a contradiction in terms. But we need to fix our full back situation so that when we don't have Tierney, um, um, we have someone, you know, some, <laughs> so, yeah, someone some, the manager will something use. happening. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like Chambers, but I don't think we've seen enough where you can bet the farm on it. And next year is kind of a bet the farm kind of year, uh, at least for Arteta and this nascent squad. It has to go well. And he can't spend a third of the year with with no threat coming from the the fullbacks. That's how the game's played these days. Different ways of doing it, but your fullback wingback needs at least on one side needs to be a threat, especially when you got five slots to fill in on the attacking end. And the way we like to play, you're going to need uh, the options at least for attacking fullbacks. Um, I would say on midfield, like I'm all for Basuma. And I buy the Chaka thing and, you know, the ceiling and stuff. The two things I'd say on that is you got to deploy your resources where you need them. If you're playing risk, you probably push them all into Irkutsk right now to hold Asia because uh, whatever uh, North America's massing. It's, you know, you put your troops where you need to put them. And I don't know that if they want a shitload of money for Bazuma, um, I mean, who knows if it's a shitload or not, um, that you turn away from Chaka <laughs> because I don't, I think we've decided Chaka's a ceiling. Everybody's a ceiling. Um, his ceiling may not be top two, uh, but we're seeing him and party play better together. The more they play, maybe they can find a better balance. And the reason I want to do that is to save my money because we need goals. And I don't think it's something we all are focusing on enough. Uh, you know, when you look at where you get your goals from, if we're going to get 70 goals, uh, we need 50 from five players. That's generally how it works. If you go back to the Arsene Wenger days, if you look at the other teams around us, if you look at Leicester, et cetera, et cetera, 
basically you've defined 50 from your top five performing players. And we're thinking of getting rid of Lacazette in our scenarios. So now you've got Aubameyang and Pepe this year who contributed 20. Now, let's say they have better years next year than they had this year, and they get closer to 30 between the two of them. You have 20 goals to find from the next three players. And it makes me think about the Odegaard versus Ben Buendia discussion. Um, just aside from the fact that they're somewhat different players and they provide different things, one of them scores goals, although there may be a bunch of jammy goals from the championship. Um, there's plenty of goals there. And Odegaard historically hasn't. And then we've got young fellows on the wings who we want to, you know, to Clive's point, you can't play them all the time. You can't wear them out. Pep talked about, you know, Foden's been great and all, but he may regress next year because young players, blah, blah, blah. So you can't bet the farm on that. Where do the goals come from? I mm. think I'd be taking all my money and any money I didn't have to spend at the back or in midfield, I wouldn't. And I would look at a couple of options up front. Um, and I understand we have young players and minutes and all that kind of thing, but the top teams need need goals. Teams who want to be in the top six, top four. You're, need you're goals. spot on, by the way. I mean, the, we the one thing that if you said to me, like, wh what is an enduring concern you have with Mikel Arteta and Arsenal right now? I'd say even when we quote turned it around post Boxing Day, and even at our peak, the attacking metrics don't look good enough to sustain. You know top four, let alone top one or two kind of performance. So, yeah, I totally agree. More you shots, need more goals. five yeah. players who score something like 10 goals reliably, well, in a season. It doesn't matter which five it How is. About one player who scores 80 goals? <laughs> yeah, that's a possibility. <laughs> well, it doesn't, doesn't seem like we're going to have that. It seems like, like Aubameyang is no longer 20 goal a, a year a striker, potentially. Like, let's be conservative. He's like... 14, 15 ne next year, we we sell LACA, we think, or whatever. But it, you can see why Aubameyang, or sorry, why Arteta had a tendency to play Alba and LACA in the same team, even if tactically we didn't always love it all the time. You got Pepe, who's on 10, who might be on 13, 14 next year. So you got Alba and Pepe, you're at just shy of 30. You need at least another 20 uh, from three players, and I don't know who those three players are. Yeah, all right. You're, forget, well, you're forgetting William, really, aren't you, Paul? That's it. That's it. Joking apart, I like. Uh, oh no, Clive! Don't what, say why it, Paul. You, you're such you an can instigator. understand why oh, he no, went sorry, for an mate. experienced Premier League player who had a fairly consistent record of goals, and you can see why they made the mistake. You just can last year. Like, I'm going to move on swiftly Zach, yeah, because this, this art, I, I feel like I could just go back in the archives and re-roll re arguments yeah, yeah, we've had know, about him in the past. Um, yeah, Clive? I will, I will say oh, no. about goals, it is a longer discussion, but we are, we are reaching a moment potentially where one of the big boys, the 50 million guys, is going to have to go. You know, and I think maybe even both. Both. Mm -hmm. The right answer is and, both. Yep. And, you know, and you know, I've got a list of the end of fours, I won't do it, but you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I'm, I just don't think. Hey, look, I did it, say last week, we mustn't rush to conclusion, but also don't miss what's right in front of your nose. You, you know, know but neither are improving. You, and we're expecting to improve by 20 points next year.
Sorry, I, I misread all of your uh, vocal timing there and thought that you were stopping three, <laughs> three different times. So I apologize. I wasn't trying. I was trying not to interrupt you, but I was trying to just come in on the heels of your great point to say, if you want to have reason, Tim, I'm going to finish with you in, in, in one second here, but I'm not going to finish with you. The pod is going to finish with I, I'm finished with you, Tim. Um, if you want to have a reason for optimism next season, like if you want to really say, here's why we're going to be exceptional next season. The reason for optimism is actually because when you have 18, 19, 20-year-old supremely talented players, they don't just get a little better season by season. Like, Pepe will probably be a little better next season because he's in his prime now. But Saka or Smith-Rowe or Martinelli could be a lot better. So, for example, in 2016, 2017, all right, Raheem Sterling in his 21-year-old season, scored seven goals and had eight assists. The next season, he turned that to 18 goals and 11 assists. Then 17 and nine, 20 goals, right? Like, he he went from being a very good, clearly talented young player to one of the best in the league because it's not a linear development. So if you want an argument for us being a lot better next season, it's Martinelli, Smithrow, Saka all get not a little bit better but leap forward, or at least one or two of them do. So, Tim, I'll finish with you on this. The one thing that I can... Look, I am guilty sometimes of thinking... Not thinking I, I know anything, but feeling strongly about what I do think, right? Feel, ha, having mm-hmm. strong opinions about the things that I, that I think have an opinion about at all. I find myself really torn on the following question. You know I believe in long-term planning, that your, that your transfer business shouldn't be based on what we're going to do next season, unless maybe you're like two points off the title and it's your last move. But I do find myself wondering if we can afford to go get guys like Basuma and then go into a period in January where party Basuma, Pepe, Aubameyang, like all gone for the African combinations. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder, you know, Arsene Wenger famously had problems with this. I remember guys, I think Colo Torre one season just never made it back at all from the AFCON. I think it was Torre. It might've been someone else, but I think it was, you know, just missed the whole rest of the season. In a season where all we have is a Premier League, and we could be positioned pretty well going into the AFCON, it has the potential to totally destroy our season. So how much should that factor into our moves? Should you should moves that you're making with three, four, five years in mind be impacted by the fact that it could crater your season in this upcoming season? I, I think in this um, scenario, it should definitely be factored in, and not just for the short-term thing, but, you know, the AFCON happens quite a lot. <laughs> it's not a one-year-only thing. So, and now they've moved it back into the middle January, of um, yep. the middle of the European season. Then, yeah, I, I do think you you know it, it would be it would be really bad planning to have six or seven players <laughs> who are then all away simultaneously um, every couple of years. Like you 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 just can't do that. Um, I think so. Yes, that absolutely has to be a factor unless they've got um, a plan to cover for it. And I think um, and, and I think it, it's just um, it's just a real. I mean, it's a real, when I say it's a real shame, like it's not a shame the AFCON is happening. The AFCON should happen. Um, you know, it's it's a big tournament that um, lots of players want to win. And, you know, 
people in Africa have every right in the world to see all the talent they develop because it usually goes away to Europe, to other leagues. They have every right to see those players play tournaments and play for their countries and things like that. So when I say it's a shame it's happening, that's not what I mean. But I mean, it's, it's a shame for Arsenal because the one like real advantage we've got this year is... Um, is not having Europe, um, you know, in terms of a footballing or tactical advantage. So the point you were just making there about some of our young players, there's also far less risk of overloading them next season. So hopefully next season, um, you know, Saka can enjoy a nice injury-free season. Um, The rumours are that he's going to be omitted um, from the England squad for the Euros, which which sucks for him but potentially quite good for Arsenal, not just because he'll get a rest, but he'll also have something to prove. And those two things are, are generally quite good. But I just really hope we don't get to next March or April with like Saka burnt out again um, or, or Smith Rowe kind of, because we know as well that Smith Rowe, we've, we've got to be careful with, with his body and what it can do. So, so these are kind of potential advantages we have, particularly when you look at the fact that Tottenham are going to be traipsing around the Europa Conference League, they will go deep in it. So that will be more than likely they'll go deep in it. So that will probably be a season long issue for them. West Ham, um, you know, West Ham are going to be in the Europa League. I think that will tank their season next season. I do think as well as Moyes has done, a lot of that is COVID related. Mm. Um, and that Moyes plays, I would say, when I say a COVID friendly brand of football, I mean um, that because of the situation, not because of the actual virus. Um, so, so, and you know, Leicester are going to be in the Europa League. So, th- there's there's some potential, um, you know, some potential advantages for us there. And and Afcon is one thing that, yeah, because not only do you lose your players in the middle of the season, but yeah, it, it depends, you know, what condition they come back in. We've had uh, Colo Torres come back with malaria before. Um, and you know just obviously going and playing in like a different climate with a different team like even when you get the player back you don't really get them back for another month or so after they're back so it is it I, I think it should um, I think we should factor it in yes and if it's like um, it, it, let's say we have a, a choice between Bissouma and another and we rate them pretty similarly and another is not going to AFCON, then we should go for another. Yeah, it is. It is really tricky because the idea that Arsenal should buy a less good player or a player at a worse age or whatever the case may be to avoid the African Cup of Nations problem just doesn't sit well with my whole sort of squad building philosophy. But the idea that we should be without our starting midfield our star striker, you know, a, a star winger. Like, I don't know how you recover from that. And I do think if you want to make an argument for keeping Shaka, the strongest argument is go get Basuma, but you got to keep Shaka because he's got to be there in January. I, I don't know. It's it's really, really tricky. Um, and there's no easy answer. Let's leave it there because we're going to just do so much more on this anyway. We'll have um, some Patreon content this week as always. So thank you. I think we're going to have something really fun transfer-wise for patrons tomorrow. So if you want to get out in front of that, you can go ahead and sign up. Um, We are also going to have the Euros podcast every single day, a Euros daily pod with Phil Costa, and I'm so excited for that. So a lot of good stuff to come, and all uh, helped in part by just you being here and continuing to listen to the pod and being a part of of, of our community. So thank you so much for that. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter at Pods My Pants. Thanks, Paws. 
Woo-hoo. My name's Elliot Smith. You should block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Transfer window new. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.